morning scriptures reading will be in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 3. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent, tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. Appreciate your presence, especially if you're visiting with us. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Throughout the Bible, there are several examples of God denying requests made to Him. Uh, As we read through the Old Testament and as the reader stands beside Moses on the mountain of Nebo at the, the top of his God, becomes very sad to us as Moses is looking over into that promised land and he is pleading with God, allow me to go in. We think about the history of Moses and how for 40 years he had trampled through that wilderness He had tolerated the uh, godlessness of the people that he was uh, uh, leading. And all he wanted to do was to go over into that promised land before he died. Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 27. Not only did God say no to Moses, He said, don't even mention it to me again. Don't speak of it anymore. We travel into the future from from the top of Pisgah into the time of the new church, and we're learning about the history of the the new covenant that Christ had established with mankind. We're learning about the new requirements and the expectations. And we come across an individual by the name of the Apostle Paul. Paul, Saul of Tarsus. And we learn about all the wonderful things that he did as he... uh, Perform mission work throughout Asia Minor, establishing congregations of the Lord's people. All the sacrifices that he made, all the things he gave up in the name of God. But there's also something else that we remember about Paul. We remember a request that he made to the Lord. We remember him asking to uh, have that thorn in the flesh removed from him. And he mentioned that to the Corinthians, Second Corinthians 12 verse 7. In fact, he called it, the messenger of Satan. He also told his readers that he pleaded with the Lord, not just once, but three times to have that thing removed from him, whatever it was. Now when we consider Moses, we might think, well, Moses deliberately defied God, and therefore the punishment of that was he wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land. But then we get over and we begin to think about Paul, and and we wonder, why wouldn't the Lord remove that thorn in the flesh after all that Paul had given up and all that he had endured. Of course, he did tell those in Corinth that the purpose of the affliction was to buffet him, to prevent him from being exalted above measure. So we understand why that was not removed. Now, I don't believe the only reason for those details being recorded for us simply provides the reader with the punishments following sin or a request that is denied. 
I believe one reason those details have been provided for us is to demonstrate the reaction or the actions following the answer no. I've titled the sermon this morning, When God Says No. Moses didn't rail against God, did he? He didn't stand on the mountain of Nebo at the top of Pisgah, and he didn't talk about the unfair treatment that he was receiving at the hands of God. Paul didn't pack up his belongings and say, I'm I'm getting out of the missionary field and I'm going to go back to doing whatever it was I was doing. I've been mistreated so badly and all I asked was for this disability, whatever it was, to be removed. You know, I believe there are some very needed lessons in those reactions. And there's another account that we read about where we uh, discover some very... Uh, exceptional and interesting reactions. The actions of a child of God after having been told no. Our passage this morning describes for us what may possibly be the greatest period of time, the happiest period of time, and the most peaceful period of time in the life of King David after he came into power. He was the king of Israel. The nation was united in peace. It was a time of rest after having endured so many different difficulties. And as that was the case, he must have been meditating and reflecting on the great blessings that God had given to him and recognizing the wonderful things that he was allowed to have in this life and those things that he enjoyed. And as he considered that, I believe a dream was born within the very mind of David. He looked out and he saw the wonderful things in his life and he simply wanted to be able to provide for God a permanent dwelling place. Now since the time of the tabernacle was constructed by Moses, God's presence appeared in the Holy of Holies and once a year the high priest would go in there and offer sacrifice. But it was in a temporary structure, wasn't it? And David, in his appreciation for what God had done for him and from the things which he had delivered him and all the wonderful other things in his life, he wanted to provide the Lord with a proper and a permanent place for his presence to be manifest before the high priest. Isn't that a wonderful dream and something that we can honor David for having? But there was an issue which David really never did consider. First, God does not need humanity to provide anything for Him. In his address to the Areopagus, the Greek council, Paul told those men, Acts 17, verse 24, he said, God who made the world and everything in it, since He is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. He went on to say, in verse 25, Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything from him, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Maybe David just simply didn't consider that God doesn't need anything from him. What can David provide for God? I think that's the first thing that, that David did not properly consider. But there's something else. The reason for God not allowing 
to build the temple is discovered in the encouragement that David gave Solomon as he was laying on his deathbed. He instructed Solomon, 1 Chronicles 22, verse 8. He wanted him to build the temple, and he told him about God's reply to his asking to build the temple. He said, God told him, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. David had never considered that. He hadn't considered, I don't believe, that God doesn't need his help, or didn't need his help, and I don't think he considered the fact that David was a man of war. And when we go into the time of Solomon, it was a time of of unparalleled peace for the whole of the reign of Solomon. Solomon wasn't a man of war. He was a man of prosperity. And so he was allowed to build that temple. In essence, God told David, He said, I've never requested the people of Israel to build me a house and I've never rebuked them for not doing it. So what makes you believe that I need you to do that? But I don't believe those are the primary lessons to be gleaned from this interaction between David and the Lord. I want us to study the reaction and the action that David had when God said no. And let's begin with his desire. David had a desire, and that's our first point. And David's desire was good. It wasn't selfish in any way. He sat in his palace. He recognized that God had blessed him, had blessed him physically, had blessed him uh, financially, Spiritually, he had given all the blessings that he could ever want in this life, and so he wanted in some way to repay God for what he had done for him. He had all the hell or all the wealth that he could have ever wanted. And God had given that to him. He had a family God had given to him. And he had the grace that God had shown throughout his life. And so he wanted to repay that. And he realized that God was the source of that. And I think we ought to honor and and appreciate David for having such a good desire. But we have to understand, even though David was told no, God still appreciated the fact that he asked to do that. Solomon remembered this, 2 Chronicles 6, beginning with verse 7. He said, Now it was in the heart of David my father to build a house for the name of the Lord, God of Israel. But the Lord said to David my father, Forasmuch as it was in thine heart to build a house for my name, thou didst dwell that it was in thine heart. Notwithstanding, thou shalt not build the house, but thy son, which shall come forth out of thy loins, he shall build the house for my name. It was appreciated by God that David would have thought that. But see, the thing David did is the same thing that that all people do. We view things from the point of view of the physical world. We see the realm of the physical, and David was no exception. We can't see into the spiritual uh, outside of the eye of faith. We see into the, the spiritual realm. We walk by faith and not by sight. But everything about our lives in this physical world has a beginning, has an ending. There are things that we that we are benefited with and that we can put our hands on and that we understand. But we need to be trained to view things from things from God's standpoint. And David was. It wasn't wrong for David to have a desire to 
to do something good for God. It was simply misguided, and that's why God said no. And so David's desire was good, but it was also godly. It was a godly desire. He had no ulterior motives. He wasn't doing something for God in hopes that he would get something back from God. He uh, he wanted to build God a house, and he wanted to glorify and honor God through building that house. He wanted God to be exalted, didn't he? He wanted God to be recognized as the God of earth and heaven, the God of all things, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he wanted God to receive the glory that was due to him. So it was a godly desire, and at no time did David ask for anything. He didn't have a desire to have something in return. He didn't want God to give him something. He simply wanted to give God something for what God had given him. He wanted to show his appreciation. See, we ought to have that same good and godly desire, shouldn't we? We ought to want to be able to do things for God, but we have to understand. We have to view things in the way that God views things. We have to give God what He wants us to give Him. And we have to offer the correct things. Now again, David had in mind the physical, because that's what he understood. But he had to have his thinking adjusted. God provides for us the things that we cannot provide for ourselves. That's the first thing we need to understand, isn't it? God did not need David to provide for him a house. And when we look at the things we want to give God, we have to look at it in that same spiritual sense. Now, God has provided for us general providence. We can't provide that for ourselves. We have seasons. We're able to produce things that we need. We can feed ourselves. We uh, have the opportunity to have a job. We go out, but we have to go get the job. God's not going to go to work for us. He provides us with an opportunity, and then we must take advantage of that. The same is true in the spiritual realm. It's not possible for people to save themselves. So God provides that opportunity to be saved. But we have to take advantage of that, right? Paul declared this, Romans 5, beginning with verse 6. He said, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, we often sing a song about Christ paying a debt that we could not pay, and nothing could be truer. So when we look at things that we offer God, we need to look at the things that God wants us to offer Him. We have to offer them in the same sense, in a, in a spiritual sense. David was trying to offer something to God that God didn't need. He didn't desire it, and he hadn't requested it. But it isn't enough to have the right action regarding our desire. We have to uh, look at and understand it is just as important to have the right reaction if God says no to our desires. David's desire was met with denial, wasn't it? That's our second point. Initially, Nathan told David, do whatever is in your heart. Nathan thought it was a grand idea. David thought it was a grand idea. And I think that's another lesson that we ought to take to heart. Neither Nathan nor David 
approached God in communication to, uh, to ask God what He thought about it. They just simply thought it was a good idea, and they decided to do it. So what we learn from that is, just because we believe it is correct, does not make it correct. They should have approached God. It would have been better if they had done that, wouldn't it? If they had gone before the throne of God, Hebrews 4 verse 16, and asked for His guidance. We need to go boldly before the throne of God. Ask Him for the things we need in this life. Now, when that communication happened between God and uh, David, when he explained to him that he wasn't going to do that, God wasn't harsh with David, was He? He wasn't overly harsh. Even in his denial, what David wanted, he still provided. God gave to David what he needed. So when we look at this denial, God was still providing for David. David made a few mistakes along the way, but God still loved him in providing. Now, instead of David giving God something, it was the exact opposite, wasn't it? God continued to provide for David. David said, I'm going to build you a house. God said, I'm going to build you a house. One that is everlasting. Isn't that amazing? He reminded him of the the grace he had received by removing David from the sheepfold. Instead of leading sheep, he began to lead a nation of people. He reminded him of all the great things he had done to him. When, When God found David, did the world believe he was very spectacular or special in any way? His father didn't even view him as something out of the ordinary. Do you recall when Samuel went and he was looking at the sons of Jesse and and he asked uh, Jesse, he said, do you have any more sons? He said, well, I've got my youngest son, but he's out in the in the wilderness. He's with the sheep. It never crossed Jesse's mind that David could be someone special in the eyes of God. That doesn't mean his dad didn't love him, but it just means he didn't view him as someone like his older brothers. And he continues to to do for us what he did for David. He made David something special, didn't he? He took David from a position and he exalted him. That's what God does today to those who obey the gospel. People who obey the gospel, they become Christians. God makes them something special. He does that. Most religions... uh, have a desire to do things for God. And I think that's honorable, to want to do something for God. But they do not do it for the most part according to God's directives. I think that's seen in in worship activities throughout the world. I've been to various different places around the world and I've witnessed some things that, that I thought was truly amazing. That doesn't mean that the intention behind the action was something that was not sincere that doesn't mean that that people do not love god it just simply means that they're not doing according to the knowledge of god instead of trying to offer god something that he doesn't want maybe we ought to investigate and determine what he does want that's what david should have done david should have looked at the things that was in his life he should have communed with god through the prophet nathan and he should have decided and determined what god wants but God can can look at the person. And just like He did for David, he, he took David, though he had some faults, and He turned him into someone who was very special. And He does that for us. That's why 
Peter described the Christian as a person who is part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He called us a peculiar people or a special people. 1 Peter 2, 9. And like David, our provisions are based on the promises that God made. Even in the denial that God gave to David, He still provided for him, but it was based on promises. And our uh, provisions are based on promises. David wanted to build a house, but God promised to build David's house forever. 2 Samuel 7, 11. Now in verses 12 through 16 of our text, God promised David's kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. And we see that that was the case, right? There was an heir of David who sat on the throne of Judah for the whole existence of Israel. When Israel ceased to exist, of course, that stopped. And that's, that's the idea behind something that is everlasting. God says it will be everlasting. Well, it's everlasting for the period of time God has chosen for it to last. And what we see also is that There was a physical fulfillment to that, but there was also a spiritual fulfillment. Who is the heir of David? Well, Christ. Jesus came through the the lineage of David, and he built a house. He built a house. Uh, Paul talked about how to behave oneself in the house of God. He's talking about the church. And he built an eternal kingdom that is spiritual in nature, and it exists even until this day. And when he fulfilled the will of the Father... By establishing the church, it fulfilled the prophecy of which David spoke, or Daniel spoke, Daniel 2, 44 through 45. And we see it happening in Acts chapter 2. And that's the eternal kingdom, the, the, the kingdom that would never come to an end, of which God spoke to David. He was going to build that eternal kingdom. You had the physical that happened. Solomon came along, he built the temple. But then, generations later, the Son of Man came along, the very Son of God, the the heir of David's throne, and He built the eternal kingdom, the house of God. And we see that happening. Aren't those glorious promises of the provisions of which God has given to us? God has often said no to those who desire to do things. And perhaps this is one of the most important aspects of our study moving forward. How do we respond when God says no? David responded to the denial through devotion. That's our third and final point. Notice that like Moses, like Paul, David did not become angry with God, did he? He did not begin to rail against God. He, in fact, responded in humility. And that was his history with God, wasn't it? But it hasn't always been the history of mankind to respond in that way. We remember Genesis chapter 4 when Cain became angry with God and God asked him, why, why are you angry? Why do you have a right to be angry? Because God denied his uh, sacrifice. We remember Saul reacting in arrogance when he offered sacrifices, and he wasn't authorized to offer a sacrifice before God, 1 Samuel 15. But David's history, David's history is described in humility. God told him no, 
And he simply devoted himself. He humbled himself before God. When Nathan rebuked him for the sin he committed with Bathsheba, he humbled himself before God. He didn't become angry with God. He didn't become angry with Nathan and, and, and have him put to death. He very well could have done that. We go back to the New Testament and we remember King Herod who had usurped the throne and John the baptizer who had rebuked him for having his brother Philip's wife and for that he had John put to death. But King David, he humbled himself. He reacted in humility. God has answered no on many occasions to his people. When he says no, we ought to respond in humility. God has set forth exactly what He expects from His people. He set forth exactly what He wants. And when we do something that goes beyond what He's asked us to do, or we fail to meet the standard that He has placed before us, we should be humble enough to simply accept what God has stated and do the right thing and continue to praise Him. And I think that's what we see with David. Even in his statement, King David acknowledged, he said, I'm not worthy of the of the privilege or the blessing to have built the temple anyway. He didn't stop honoring or worshiping God. He didn't get angry and and say, well, I'm just going to quit. His devotion to God continued to be humble, and it continued to be holy. He was truly a child of God. Meaning it it was what God expected from David, wasn't it? God expected that reaction. He expects that reaction today. God may say no to us in a a variety of ways. How many of us have have gone before the throne of God in in pleading tears and asking for something that we needed for it to not happen? I think maybe all of us. Does that mean God doesn't love us? No. That means that, that God answered that question or that request with a no or Or maybe it was, we'll have to wait and see. But at the moment, we didn't get what we wanted. But see, we don't understand everything the way God understands it. We don't view things in in the way that God views things. We have to trust Him enough, and we have to honor His decision. We have to be followers of God during the bad times and through the good times as well. When we look in 2 Samuel 7, 27 through 29, The essence of David's prayer to God was, Thy will be done. He said, God, I want to build the temple. God said, No. He said, Thy will be done. We see something that's very similar to that when we get over to the New Testament. David's heir, the one who established that eternal kingdom, he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had pouring out his soul before God in, in tears and crying, the writer of Hebrews said, And he asked for God, if there's any other way to fulfill your plans, please remove this cup from before me. And do you know what God's answer was? No. There is no other way. And Christ said, Thy will be done. And he marched right off to Calvary. And he allowed himself to be murdered. God is the potter and we are the clay. We need to allow God to shape us. We need to be able to accept His yes as well as His no. David wasn't allowed to build the temple, but he didn't become angry with God. He didn't become belligerent. He didn't decide that that he was going to leave God. He 
continued in his demonstration of devotion toward him. In fact, David made all the preparation for Solomon, didn't he? He gathered up all the materials. He didn't take himself out of the work. He did what he could do. I think that's another lesson for us. Solomon built the temple of David's kingdom. And throughout the history of Israel, as an independent nation, it existed. Jesus built the house of God. The one His people are a part of today. The one of which we are members. The one which is eternal. I think the most important thing isn't always the desires that we may have, even if they're, they're good and holy desires. Even if, even if there's something that is, is selfless for us. It may not be something that, that God wants us to do. And He may meet that desire with denial. When we look in the Bible, that's God's Word. He's left for us the way in which we're to behave toward Him and worship. We may want to do something different, but He says no. So we have to have the ability to be humble. But I believe maybe the most important reaction is our reaction when He says no. How am I going to treat God? Am I going to continue to devote myself? Am I going to continue to have desires to do things for Him, even in denial, if He chooses that's not the way to go? I think that's a question we all need to consider this day. One way in which we show our devotion to God, of course, is becoming a member of His church. We understand the plan of salvation, faith that Jesus is who He said He was, John 8, 24, repentance of all past sins, Luke 13, 3, confession that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came up out of the grave and that He sits at the right hand right now, ruling over that kingdom, Romans 10, 9 and 10, immersion in water so that our sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16, and then faithful devotion until our time on earth comes to an end. If you've done that, yet you've become unfaithful for whatever reason. Show your devotion in God to come back to Him, repenting of those sins, confessing them whether publicly or privately, and asking God to forgive you. We'll pray with you and for you if that's necessary. But if you need to answer this Lord's invitation right now, do that as we stand and as we sing.